Welcome to the American Institute of Stress podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to bring you information about stress and stress management techniques. While we know that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment. Greetings, everyone, and welcome. This is your host and executive director for the American Institute of Stress, Will Heckman. I want to thank you once again for joining us today. Hopefully, you have been listening to our podcast and are going to be tuning into our future podcast. If you have not, these podcasts focus on stress and stress-related issues. So please remember to follow us at stress.org. And don't forget to send in those reviews and those comments. I love hearing from you guys. Today, we're going to be continuing our conversation with Dr. Jeff Jernigan. Um, I hope you listened to part one. If not, you still can. It went a little long, so we decided to make two episodes of this. And you're about to hear part two of our original podcast, Return to Work and School, and the stress related to that. Thanks again for joining us today, and we joined the conversation already in progress. And let's talk about that a little bit, about the the physical aspect of all this. You also mentioned in your article, and and we've known this too at the American Institute of Stress, that stress is cumulative. It builds up. And when that stress builds in our minds, you become overloaded with stress. It can shift into physical challenges. It can have a very negative physical effect on us. Can you tell us more about how that happens? Sure. Uh, happy to. Um, we have a little uh, structure buried in our brain called the amygdala. It's, it's like the sentry in the basement of a high-rise office building watching all the security cameras, except it's not a very smart sentry. If it sees something on those security cameras that potentially could be threatening, it sounds the alarm. Our amygdala monitors all of our senses, all of the inputs. It monitors our heart rate and our temperature and all those internal cues. And if it senses something that it perceives as threatening, even though it might not really be, it sends a signal to the hippocampus and to the hypothalamus and to the pituitary. And it, this alarm goes off chemically throughout our whole body. And one of the results of that is a little bit of adrenaline gets squirted into our bloodstream. We become a little more alert. Our palms might sweat a little bit. Our breathing might become a little faster. We might have this sense of, of fear or, or anxiousness coming upon us. And it's, it's so little that you don't really see this rising until you suddenly figure out, boy, I'm afraid of my own shadow. How did that happen? Mm. What's going on? And the problem with epinephrine, with adrenaline, is that it uh, needs to be metabolized out of our system by activity. And if there's no activity involved, if we're just sitting there stressed out and worried and getting jacked up on epinephrine, um, uh, it, will, it will turn into cortisol. Now, cortisol eats away at our immune system. So if we're worried all the time and we're not, we're not watching our nutrition, our sleep, our exercise, and, and other, we begin to get ulcers. We begin to have stomach troubles. We get leaky dr- gut syndrome. We begin to have uh, p- bouts of depression and high anxiety um, uh, that looks like a bipolar disorder. It's not. 
uh, we can look like we're deeply depressed. And that has nothing to do with the actual depression in the mind. It has everything to do with the junk food we're eating because we're not watching our diet. Right. Our, our body getting all that processed sugar shuts down its own manufacturing of sugar. And now we develop hypoglycemia, which is a chemical condition, low blood sugar, and we act like we're depressed. When, when we get overstressed and begin to act out like we discussed earlier in the workplace, it takes on the appearance of uh, an antisocial personality disorder. We begin to look like we're mentally ill and we're not. We have gotten out of balance with our nutrition, our diet, our, our sleep, our exercise, our, our, our meaningful relationships, and, and, and we've lost an attachment to our, our purpose and meaning for being in the workplace. You know, that's so you, that was such a great analogy that, you know, the, the security camera for a body. I really like that. And you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, it has to do with balance. In the old days, when stress happened, I mean, the real old days, even older than me, <laughs> when, when your village was attacked by some saber-toothed tiger, you ran away and you, you dissipated that stress by running away and living and to be able to run away another day. Now you sit in front of Facebook and it upsets you. So what do you do to, to, to get rid of that stress? Well, it comes down to management techniques. Yeah. You, you, you spoke about a few. I never understood, and I recently have changed my diet and have come to the conclusion that I've been an idiot up until this point because I, like a lot of people, did not make the connection between a diet and things like hypoglycemia and depression and other problems that you're having. But every high school student knows in a chemistry class, you put the wrong chemicals in something and you get the wrong reaction. We're, yeah. we're willing to do that in our bodies, but not in, in a chemistry class. Yes. 30% of the energy our body needs every day to work well is consumed by the brain, 30%. 38 of the 46 nutrients our body needs to function well are used exclusively by the brain. Hmm. All of the neurotransmitters that allow the structures of our brain to communicate with each other are manufactured by our diet. The right. components are developed out of the food we eat. So if we're not eating right, not eating well, eating the wrong things, our thinking can become stinking <laughs> because the neurotransmitters we need that connect everything neurologically in our head aren't there or aren't there in the right proportions. And that all has to do with our diet. And, you know, since we're talking about the return to work right now, employers need to pay attention to that. Stop having just candy machines and soda machines yes. available. And there are some healthier alternatives because you're doing yourself a favor. If, yes. you're, if your employees are, you know, misfiring in their brain, it's an absence <laughs> of misfiring because they're watching some commercial that says they have to eat a candy bar to feel correct. Uh, you need to help them along. Right. We, we, we and, know this. You should know it too and, and help your employees. It'll yeah. help. It'll help the employers as yeah. well. We also need to limit our, um, our inputs, uh, our information inputs. And we, we live in an age now where the workplace is 
Right. And so the news feeds repeat stuff constantly, including the weather, because there's an audience turnover that they're aware of because we're a 24-7 workplace world now, and they want to repeat things. Well, if you're sitting there watching the news constantly, you're getting dream of that news constantly. And even if you think you're ignoring it, your mind hear it, hears it, your sentry, the amygdala, sees it, and it gets you ramped up. So mm -hmm. I tell people, limit your intake, find two or three good sources of reliable news and check those periodically and, and do not have the TV on constantly or the radio or, or, or anything that's, that's dumping all this stuff on you because we cannot handle it. Our body will react to that. Right. Uh, uh, you sit there and watch it long enough, you're going to become depressed and paranoid and uh, anxious to the point that you may need medication to get back to normal. Right, we all want to avoid that. I'll tell you right now that this is an over-medicated society and we need to uh, stop relying on drugs. One of the things that I get asked about a lot, and you also mentioned uh, in your articles, was about sleep disturbance, was the very yes. first sign of a stress disorder. We have done whole shows about sleep disorder. I've written articles about sleep disorder. We, I just interviewed a scientist from Stanford who, who is doing experiments on mice about sleep. It's become such an epidemic. And, so, and we get lots of comments about sleep. Please tell everybody, because it is such an important thing, if I've, and I've experienced it myself. I don't know anybody who's not experienced a bad night's sleep. Hey, last night... At 3.40 in the morning, I got a weather alert on my phone that sounded like an alarm from a fire engine. <laughs> so you're going to lose a night's sleep now and now. But if, how is sleep disturbance affecting us when it's ongoing? Yes. Well, that, there's a number of things that happen, but let me just go to the top of the list. First, the good news about sleep. Your body can, can make up sleep it's lost without consequence. Um, so if you've had a bad night and you've got a, an opportunity for a nap in the afternoon, uh, take it. That'll reset things. The other thing about sleep is if you are awakened in the night because somebody gave you an elbow in the ribs or <laughs> you had this uh, freight train uh, go through the neighborhood or an alarm go off, don't lay there and try, try to go back to sleep. Get up, walk around, get a glass of milk, get a glass of water, uh, uh, and then go back to bed. You're resetting your system. Right. Um, secondly, our screens, computers, phones, other uh, electronic devices emit a frequency of blue light that we're not aware of that is just like the frequency of the blue sky we see. And our, our minds have a little organ that watches the light. And when the light goes away, it produces melatonin so you can go to sleep more easily. Uh, in fact, sometimes we, we take melatonin as an over-the-counter natural supplement to our diet. Yes, yes, good. I just, I'm sorry, but for those of you uh, not watching, yes. I just showed my, my, my bottle of melatonin on my yes. desk. Yes, and I gave him a thumbs up that you don't see either. So, All, all of those things uh, can help. An, an hour before I'm planning to go to bed, uh, I'm not looking at my phone. I'm lo looking at my computer. I'm not watching TV. I may be reading. I may be doing some other things, but I give my body a break from the blue lights mm -hmm. so that I can go to sleep more easily 
and then fall into a deep sleep. And now, and now this is where trouble happens. Let me go back to exercise for a minute. When we exercise uh, normally, our muscles produce an enzyme that travels to our brain and triggers the manufacturing of what's called a brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. This little guy is magic. Because when we're in our deep sleep, this neurotrophic factor triggers the replacement of brain cells and the repair of neural pathways. It cleans up all the plaques and all the tangles that, that our working brain has produced in our waking hours. The guy sitting in the basement, the sentry, okay, he's there 24-7. Now, uh, during the day, that high-rise office building is full. It's active. There's stuff going on left and right and up and down and sideways. And then the sun goes down and the building empties and everybody goes home. You can hear the crickets chirp for about an hour before all the janitorial staff comes back in, fills up that building, empties the trash, wipes off the tables, replenishes the water jugs, gets the stains off the carpet, uh, picks up the mess, gets everything in order again for everybody to come back in the, wor in the morning and, and, and work without interruption or obstacle. You can imagine if that janitorial staff never came back at the end of a month, that's going to be a pretty cluttered mess in there. That is what BDNF does to us physiologically. It cleans up the mess and sets everything in order for our next day of work. And if we're not getting enough exercise, it's not going to happen. Wow, that's, a, that's an awesome analogy. One of the best analogies I've ever heard. So thank you for that. And, and you said a couple of things that were, that were very important, like taking a nap. Hey, didn't mm -hmm. we learn that in kindergarten? Guys, what happened? Missed that part of kindergarten. <laughs> it, what happened? It, it changed. It didn't change. You, you know, you still need um, enough sleep to, like you said, what a distraction it would be if that cleanup crew didn't come in and clean it up. Right. You come back to work the next day and you can't even function right. Right. It's a great analogy. By the way, if you if you are somebody like me who spends a lot of time in front of a computer and you wear glasses, I got glasses that block that blue light yeah and, i do too uh, and it's great I, I i used to get headaches and i don't get them anymore so if you're out there and you're finding that's affecting you that's something you might want to look into okay so one of the last things i want to talk to you because we're, we're kind of running out of time I, we, we could talk for hours on this it's <laughs> you, you, have, you have some of the best analogies i've ever heard jeff what are people who are feeling overwhelmed Oh, that overwhelming sense of stress, that, that they're on the borderline of burning out. When do they need to see a therapist or a mental health professional? Or can they just go speak to their boss or a personal relationship to get that help? Well, there's, there's three things I suggest to people that feel they're on that edge um, to try first before seeking professional help. And one is just to take a personal inventory. Mm. Um, uh, how is your nutrition? Regular meals, eating the right things. How is your exercise? Are you getting at least 153 minutes of exercise or have periods of intensity in them over more than one episode during a week? That's the minimum it takes to trigger the brain cleanup thing. Exercise also removes toxins that, that make it more difficult to reason, to make decisions, to recall. 
to be self-regulated in your emotions. So how, how is your nutrition? How is your exercise? How are your sleep patterns? Uh, then secondly, are there meaningful relationships in your life, people that you can talk to remotely or, or in the world, anywhere? Meaning, a meaningful relationship in this sense is somebody that, that provides you psychological safety when you're expressing authentically uh, what you're thinking, what you're struggling with, what you're concerned about. Will they, will they listen to you without judgment, without a critical spirit? Will they uh, encourage you uh, from a positive perspective, instead of saying, well, you got to stop doing this, they say things like, you need to think about doing this. Mm. Uh, and, and in other words, uh, a meaningful relationship is one with someone you trust with yourself that isn't going to judge you, that uh, will consistently encourage you and give you helpful ideas to process. That relationship is reciprocal. You don't have it with everybody. But, but those are what we mean about uh, what, when we describe a meaningful relationship as something that sheds stress faster and in a more healthy, natural way than anything else. Conversations with people that you have a meaningful relationship with. There's safety there. Uh, then the third thing I ask them about is, are you balancing your stretching experiences with nourishing ones? And I don't mean, are you taking a break? Stress is cumulative. And that little guy buried in our head doesn't care whether the stress is, is good stress, you stress, we call that, or bad stress. You know, the vacation that was just totally a dream experience for you has stress associated with it. You had to plan for it. You had to set aside finances for it. You had to pack up the car and the kids and you had to travel and and these arrangements and that, you know, that, that all involves stress, just like the vacation from hell will involve stress. Your, your mind doesn't know the difference. It packs it all together, which is why we need to focus not on so much, I need a break or I need a vacation, but how can I balance the stressing experiences in my life with nourishing ones? Right. Is that, you know, visiting with friends? Is that taking a vacation? Is that taking a walk? Is that reading a book? Is it just sitting in the quiet? Is it, is it activity with other people? The range of, of stretching and nourishing experiences is very broad and very different from everyone. So you need to sit down and figure out, okay, what kinds of things do I do that I feel nourished by, energized by, refreshed by, strengthened by, whether it involves activity or no activity? And what are the ones that, that are stretching me? You know, one nourishing experience will um, balance out three times the amount of stress. Mm. Another way to say that is that um, recovering from stress can, can take up to three times more than it took to create the stress and live right. with it. So you can reverse that with nourishing experiences. You can bleed the stress off through nourishing experiences that are balanced with the stretching ones. Okay, so we've had that conversation about those three things. We've done a self-evaluation, and they, they feel like they're okay in some parts, but, but they're to totally out of control in others. So, you know, step one, you need to get those basic areas of life in, under control. So that might be being accountable to someone you have a meaningful relationship with. That might be your therapist or your physician. Uh, that's going to help you manage that part of your life because that, that needs to be straightened out immediately as quickly as possible 
regardless of what you do with the other issues. Then I would say you need to see a therapist who is trained and qualified in stress management, stress disorders, stress fatigue, burnout, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicidal ideation, uh, you know, that whole spectrum. Uh, you need someone who has expertise in that and can help you understand what signs to look for when you're getting to that point where you're not able to self-help anymore. Because if you're at that point, that's where you're going to need some medication to get you back to ground zero and get your life back in control. And, and I emphasize the need to see someone who uh, has a strong professional background in stress management because you don't want to see someone who's going to over-medicate you and just throw uh, right. drugs at the problem. It's, it's a holistic approach, mind and body, physiology and psychology. It's got to work together. That, that's very true. And you're, and you're right. There's too much of that throwing drugs at it. Um, the president of AIS, Dr. Kirsch, once said to me, he said, you know, we're over-medicated. I mean, practicing medicine, medicine is in their name. Right. So, it, you know, it, it kind of made, made sense to me. So we, we have to be careful of that to, to try and stay away from the, the medicine as much as we can. But I'm not going to tell you if you need it, don't take it. Because... Here's not taking it can be worse. <laughs> here's the reason it sneaks up on people that put them at that place of, I can't get back to normal without help. There are three kinds of trauma we experience in life. Trauma one, we're most familiar with, that's a significant event or clusters of events. Someone's passed away, there's been a terrible accident, uh, we're threatened with violence, stress, high uh, in, in a short period of time, but then it, it can go back down as you get move past those events. Trauma two is a low-grade, long-term, prolonged level of stress that doesn't have any traumatic events like trauma one has to it. But given long enough time without interruption or management, it can produce post-traumatic stress disorder just like you were a combat veteran in a war. And, and that's the kind of stress in a pandemic that sneaks up on people and suddenly they fall off that cliff they have a complete physiological and psychological breakdown, and they need a period of recovery and some significant professional help to get back to the place where they, they can be their own person again. Mm. Vicarious trauma is another form of trauma that sneaks up on families, usually with the children. Think about the children that have to witness how their parents are responding to the trauma, the, the prolonged trauma they're living with. And the, and the fear that they see in their faces and they hear in their voices, the outbursts of anger that they experience sometimes directed at them, this creates a vicarious trauma that can also spin that child out of control <laughs> to a point where they need uh, not so much medical help, but they need attention. They need intervention, sure. Yeah, because they're reacting to the reaction their parents are having towards this whole traumatic ordeal. And, you know... Uh, I'm seeing it every day. You know, my wife tells me about her classes. Most teachers' classes are split now. Some are home, some online, while she's at the brick and mortar with some other students there in front of her. And some of the kids are handling it better than others. And I think oh, you're right. I think some of it has to do with their parroting how their parents are reacting to this. They're learning, you know, their stress mastery from their parents. Hopefully, it's, it's a positive way. 
All right, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is I wanted you to tell us a little bit about the Hidden Value Group and, and oh. what you do there. Well, thank you for asking. The Hidden Value Group works in uh, third world countries pre, mid, or post-disaster. There's always a period of time between a major disaster like the tsunami in Sri Lanka before the major relief agencies can get organized and coordinate their efforts and, and get on the ground. Um, if we see it coming and we can get there, we'll be there before the disaster strikes. Uh, we'll, we, we'll move into an area uh, where there's a disaster ongoing like Ebola. Mm -hmm. uh, we're coming along behind in the, in the wake of the immediate disaster to fill that, that short period of time when somebody can't get there. And then what we'll do while we're there is we will work alongside first responders, uh, helping them do their jobs and training them how to take care of themselves so that they can continue to do it. We know statistically a first responder in disaster areas, uh, if they're there working without a break for more than 90 days, they will go away and they will leave their profession and never return. So we, we also teach them how to take care of themselves. We work with the medical staff, physicians, psychiatrists uh, in those countries to help train them how to deal with the, um, not just the medical impacts, but the mental health impacts associated with mass disaster, mass hysteria. In Sri Lanka, when we were there, we were helping the government figure out what to do with 34,000 plus bodies created in three hours, spread all over the land. That is a major health crisis, let alone a, a, a massive psychological injury to the surviving population. Uh, we work uh, going on past that with um, uh, their national university system to establish curriculums that will train first responders, social workers, counselors, psychiatrists, and physicians in the, the medicine, uh, mental health and medical a practice of evidence-based medicine associated with mass disasters and violence. Uh, we've worked in uh, Moldova to help end the child's impacts of the tsunami. We have continued to work in Sierra Leone in the world of Ebola. We have worked in um, the refugee areas in Uganda and in the Crimea uh, to help end burnout and suicide among the ranks. Uh, are fortunate enough to have the trust and confidence of most of the third world over the last 30 years because of our work. Uh, we get more invitations to be in places of difficulty than we can possibly uh, respond to. And, and all of our work, our medical staff, our volunteers, uh, get no financial remuneration for this. Um, I'm going to tell you, we're, we're lucky you guys are around. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I... I I'm the chief executive officer and board chair for the Hidden Value Group. And, and other than actual expenses, when I'm serving as a medical team's leader in these places, I don't take any money out of that $20 million organization. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we have, we have uh, two paid employees. One is our financial director and the other is our director of volunteers. Uh, everyone else is, is um, very generous with their resources and with their time. So all you I, guys out there who don't think, don't believe there are really good people out there anymore, I hope you heard all that. 
Yeah. Uh, well, and that's why that's why I work for Stanton Chase also as their their North American psychological expert in different ways because I've got to do something to pay the bills. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that, but I I just want to applaud all your efforts and all that you do with the Hidden Value Group and all they do. I, being a former first responder myself, I was with NYPD for a short while. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't really realize what a blow it is to the people working those kinds of disasters. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, and for we call them hidden come, heroes. Yeah, and for years to come, it, it haunts you. I did never talked about it. You know, I didn't want people to have, to share in those experiences. So a lot of first responders keep yeah. that to themselves. They're stoic. And well, thank you God. for your service, Will. Well, well it, was, it was my honor. And thank you for all you've done. And thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it very much. I know these days you have to be really busy. <laughs> so I want to thank you for your time. Uh, and everybody out there who is listening, please don't forget to check out the Hidden Value Group. Just go to hiddenvaluegroup.com. Uh, and see all the things that they do there and that uh, Jeff, you can find out about him and read their blog, uh, Jeff and his wife, Nancy. And uh, the Valley Group Will, is actually made up of five organizations, two for-profit and three non-profit. They'll find the links to those organizations uh, there. The um, primary one that's involved in what we've been discussing is uh, Olive Branch International. They work out the logistics of getting us around the world where we need to be in a timely fashion. Uh, Most of our volunteers come out of that organization. Uh, We also do policy advisement with uh, levels of government to help them put in place public policies that will protect them from being overwhelmed by disasters in the future. Awesome. So again, people, you know where to go to visit it, hiddenvaluegroup.com. Again, we want to thank our guests today. Uh, Dr. Jernigan, once again, this has been your host, Will Heckman. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And don't forget to please follow this podcast. And again, I want to hear from you guys. So send in your reviews and comments. And remember that your support helps keep making these podcasts. And I also want to remind everyone that just as stress is different for each of us, there's no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone. So that means you need to join us next time as we explore more stress management strategies and insights. Remember to visit stress.org to gather information, tools, techniques, look at the courses. Maybe you can find your way to live a healthier and happier and a longer life. And I hope the information that you heard today from Jeff and myself will help you find contentment. Good day, everyone. See you next time.